Welcome to Left Foot. We invite fresh conversation on business development. Now here's your host, Nicole Giantonio. Hello, listeners, and welcome to Left Foot. Today, our guest is Adrian Dayton, the founder and chief innovation officer at Clearview Social. Adrian founded Clearview Social to create a scalable social marketing tool. According to the National Law Journal and many of the leaders I've interviewed on Left Foot, he is the top social media consultant within the legal industry. Adrian, I've given our listeners some insight into your role and background. Can you expand on what I've said and give us a glimpse into your work at Clearview Social? Absolutely. Well, first off, Nicole, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here with you. And I appreciate you saying I'm the top social media consultant in the legal industry. There aren't very many of us, so that that may be a dubious distinction. I'm passionate about what I do. I guess what I can add is I started out as a practicing attorney doing corporate M&A work, and I was at a firm that really wasn't looking to the future. They didn't really see how they were going to bring in their next client. And so when the economic downturn hit and business got slow, along with a number of other associates, you know, I was in the first group that was let go, called my wife and she was crying. And I said, honey, it's all right. I have this idea. I'm going to start a business teaching lawyers how to use Twitter. And, you know, she just cried harder. But anyway, she was was very supportive. I started off by, I wrote the first book on social media for lawyers um, back in 2008. And then from there, things just exploded with with regards to social media. I started to work with some very large firms in the AMLA 100. Soon after, I became a columnist for law.com, and that gave me a lot more exposure, and I could write about what I love, and while I was doing it, I could get more exposure for my business. And then just about three years ago, I launched Clearview Social, and it's now the number one social sharing app for large law firms. So let's talk about that. So, and I have to say, Adrian, I read your book and um, I, wow. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was a fantastic read, but it was very detailed and and I'm sure appreciated by by those that read it. Can you expand on what the app does and how, how it works? I think that would be helpful to our listeners. Absolutely. So law firms, at least most law firms, have a disconnect. They, they create articles, blog posts, alerts, and the only audience they have for those are email lists. And usually these email lists are very old and they've just kind of been accumulated over the years and they haven't been curated. So the articles get blasted out to those lists. And then the marketing directors, they may say to all the lawyers, hey, everybody, please share these to your LinkedIn network. Please share these to your Twitter network but it just doesn't happen. They're just, they're too busy, right? It's not that they're not willing. It's just that they're too, they have too, they have too many other things competing for their time. So what Clearview Social does is it basically gives the marketing t- department a way to spoon feed the content to the lawyers in simple emails. The lawyers receive the emails right in their inbox in Outlook. They click one button and it schedules the article to be shared out to their individual LinkedIn network or Twitter network if they use Twitter, which... The majority of lawyers don't, but almost everyone has a LinkedIn account now. And if you think about it, the people in your LinkedIn network, or at least some of the people in your LinkedIn network, they're the people most likely to buy from you tomorrow because you have a real relationship with them. When people think about social media and online marketing, they're always hoping for some random stranger to hire them off the street. But as you and I both know, business development rarely works that way. Usually these are relationships that have to be built over, over years and then when the time's right, if you happen to be top of mind, you're going to get a chance at the work. What the app does is it lets every lawyer within the firm just increase their visibility to their individual network and then in turn 
helps the firm have greater visibility as well. You said a few things there. First, it's easy to use. If I have to remember how it works, I'm not going to use the tool the way it was intended. Adrian, I'd love to get your thoughts on, I've heard this stat recently, a person doesn't do business with someone they haven't heard from in the last two weeks. It's not that I just met them two weeks ago. I've communicated with them in the last two weeks. What are your thoughts on on that? Okay. So first off, I love that quote. I love that quote. And I'm going to share with you a metaphor that I use when, when trying to teach lawyers about this concept. If you're going to hire somebody as a lawyer, right? And I'm a lawyer. I know hundreds of lawyers. When I had to find a lawyer to do my series seed documents, when we raised our first money, I had hundreds of lawyers I could have chosen from. I've interacted with thousands over the last few years. And who did I choose? I chose who was top of mind. The group that I chose from, I call that the maybe pile. Everyone has a list of people that maybe they will hire. And how do you get to the top of that pile? Have you been in contact in the last two weeks, right? That's a great way to be on top of the maybe pile. And I'm going to share with you something that's a little bit controversial among some law firms, although it shouldn't be, it should just be as plain as day. But one of the best places to stay top of mind with your professional contacts isn't just LinkedIn, but it's also Facebook. Because the people that know you the best, a lot of them are connected with you on Facebook. And sure, they don't want to hear you sharing legal content every day. But if you share a new article you wrote once a month, or if you share something you wrote about Brexit or about some new interesting legal issue, even if they don't read it, it's a reminder to them, hey, this is who I help in my professional life. And if you or anybody you know needs help with this, I have some real expertise here. I just hear every single week stories of people having success. This is a story from an accountant that I heard just last week. He shared an article he had written, and it wasn't even particularly interesting or compelling, right? But it was about the work he does in the real estate sector with the accounting practices. And his wife reshared it just because she's nice. And each of them separately had a friend reach out to them that they've known for a couple decades and say, hey, I didn't know your husband did that. Oh, hey, I didn't know you did this. And he brought a new business sharing from Facebook. People we know, our existing network is already pretty powerful if we just knew how to activate it. Very interesting. Just got a very large piece of business in my other business from a personal relationship. Someone said, hey, I think... The wife of a friend of ours is in that business. There's something to be said for it. You are absolutely correct. Let's chat about Facebook. A lot of the AM100 especially. If you said Facebook, you would get that stare. Facebook, really? I think in other size firms, and they are definitely talking about Facebook and Twitter. Where do you see Facebook fitting in? And what is your recommendation? Because I can imagine that you do get that look when you're sitting in front of one of those top firms. So let's take, let's take emotion out of the equation, impossible, right? When we talk to lawyers about something like this, that they think they know the data that's come across our Clearview social platform, because through Clearview social, you can share to LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. When we look at all of the data, the shares to Facebook get twice as many clicks as the shares to LinkedIn. These aren't articles about politics or pop culture. These are legal articles about changes in the law in legal accounting, recruiting, the same dry, boring business content. I know it's not boring. It's fascinating, right? Whatever. Um, it's being shared to Facebook is getting twice as many clicks as the content being shared to the ideal market on LinkedIn. Now, why is it getting twice as many clicks? The data doesn't really tell us that but I think we can all guess it's because people spend their spare time on Facebook because they enjoy being on Facebook. They're not going to see your article usually when it goes across LinkedIn 
because they only go to LinkedIn to accept connection requests. They don't go there to read content for the most part. So the first thing I share with professionals is, look, let's just follow the data. The data shows Facebook shares get twice as many clicks as LinkedIn. So it's fine to share to LinkedIn, but once in a while you should also share to Facebook because it will get attention there. And the second thing is Twitter, Twitter gets more clicks than both Facebook or LinkedIn. And that's because Twitter is a site that's all about sharing content, right? Twitter's not a, hey, let's be friends network. Twitter is your value is the quality of content that you share. And that's limited for most people. They're not on the intellectual level where they can create content. They have to go find other content and share it. Here, when you have lawyers that are smart and capable of creating their own content to put out there, they can generate really positive attention for themselves. So that's kind of the LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter dichotomy. Clearly, both Facebook and Twitter need to have a far more prominent role in law firms than it currently does. I'll admit to you, most of my work with firms is around LinkedIn. And it's not because I advise them to do more with LinkedIn is because it's what they think they need. If they asked me what type of training do we really need, I would have said, your lawyers have to be writing more, they have to be on Twitter, and they've got to consider using Facebook professionally. But that's not what they're asking for, right? So as a provider, I've got to give them what they ask for, but then I'm also also trying to share the data that says, don't forget these other networks because you have less competition there and a better opportunity to get attention. To say, Adrian, you posted something recently and I clicked through and read it and it was about why posts on LinkedIn weren't being viewed. And when you brought this to my attention, wow, because top updates are being put into the sequence and that's what I'm looking at every day, not recent updates. Can I just explain that quick? When you share something to LinkedIn, a lot of people are under the impression that it shows up on the top of the homepage of LinkedIn for all of your viewers. That's the common understanding because that's how it used to work. But now LinkedIn is trying to be more like Facebook. So they're gonna instead show you what they think are the top updates. They're gonna show you what they think you care most about. And as a result, most of the updates from your network are gonna be hidden and you're gonna have to actually go and select recent updates to see all of those. Well, how many people know about the way that you can toggle between those? Probably less than 5% because I'm a social media expert and I just learned about it a couple months ago, right? So the point is, if you don't share frequently, your shares aren't going to be seen at all because they're not going to make it into top updates. I have to say, I was shocked to learn that. And then when I started realizing that the majority of the people that I'm communicating with are not looking at recent, this is probably going to influence how many people are going to continue to post on LinkedIn. If I thought that the actual data would really influence a lot of my market, I don't know. I don't, I don't mean to be cynical about this, but the people that will only share to LinkedIn, they don't share very often. It's like if they found this out, they might stop sharing altogether, right? And I don't want them to do that. Sharing updates, I don't want to say that it's as random as playing the lottery, but it's kind of like looking for a parking spot in downtown Manhattan. You keep trying and what you share might not get a lot of traction, and then one day, suddenly, you find something. Sharing is like that. You've got to share multiple times. You have to have multiple kind of experiments, so to speak, before you share something that really catches on with your audience. To the people that share once or twice a month, now that their shares will be hidden, at least to a lot of their network, it's very unlikely they get enough clicks 
to become prominent and to be top update. On the one hand, that's the issue. And one of my counterparts, the co-author of my LinkedIn book, Amy Knapp, when this thing came out, she called me and she said, this is terrible. This makes LinkedIn totally useless for most of the people that are sharing. I kind of tempered that and said to her, look what's happened with Facebook over the last three years. I don't know if you're a really active Facebook user. I'm more active on Facebook now than I've ever been before. And it's because the algorithm is so much smarter now. I've got a couple thousand Facebook connections. I only see shares from 50 or 60 of them. And it's people that are my family, close friends, or people I'm not especially close to, but who always post stuff that I'm interested in and that I engage with. So what it's done is it's removed a lot of the noise and made sure that what I see on Facebook is the stuff that I'm likely to enjoy. LinkedIn hasn't quite nailed that yet, but they're trying to do it. And so what they're trying to do, I think, is the right thing, but they haven't quite got it right yet. So as a result, you see someone share on LinkedIn something like, hey, I never share personal things, but I just got married. Hooray for me. And it has like 20,000 likes on the bottom. Well, sure, that's popular across LinkedIn, but it's completely irrelevant to me. I don't want to see that. I want to see information that can help me do my job better. So LinkedIn hasn't quite figured out what that balance is. They haven't figured out how to give us the top updates that we actually care about. But once they do, I think lawyers that are sharing relevant recent content, they're going to have a great chance of becoming a top update because the news is timely and informative and all of that. So that's interesting. There's a firm, the Wagner Law Group out of Boston. It's a Narissa employment law firm. Marsha Wagner is managing a name partner there. So she shares a lot of content and they develop a lot of their own content. And I see that come through and I see that part of their strategy to bring value to their clients, to get additional matters, to cement their value in that space and their knowledge in that space and to put them in a category of being very much targeted in a, in a particular area, particular field. With this change, how would you suggest a firm like that or a larger firm that really is in a lot of different areas get the message out to the market, whether it's to their current clients or, or to prospective clients about the fact that they're doing particular work or providing particular guidance? What is your recommendation generally? My recommendation, kind of two ways, right? They can continue email marketing. They continue doing email blasts to the specific practice areas where they're trying to get traction because every practice area may have their own list. Keep doing those traditional things because email marketing is still is a very effective way to get that news out. But when it comes to social media, what they're doing right now is the spray and pray method. They have like one Twitter account and it's just like a fire hose of all the content. So instead of doing that, they need to find champions within each practice area that as a team share the similar content around this topic. Because this is the interesting wrinkle with top updates. If you have 10 people in your firm that share the same article, that's going to signal to LinkedIn that it's trending and it's popular and it will make it into the top updates. And instead of showing up 10 times, if you have shared connections, it will say at the top, here's what your network's talking about. So having a team, having everybody share, now full disclosure, our software Clearview Social lets you organize that effort. So it sends everyone an email so they can all click the share button and then it schedules it close together, never at the same time, so that you get some of that bounce effect of having multiple people share the same thing. But you don't need, need our software. You can just say to everyone, hey, we're all gonna share this article this morning and you could do the same. The other thing they can do is they can create professional but individual Twitter accounts 
and they can follow and gain followers in the areas where they want to be known. And their Twitter feed can be a source of the content around that area. So, I mean, those are a couple recommendations, but really if you want to go deeper, it's going to all be about the type of content you create and how regularly you create content to build that reputation. So when I hear Facebook, I don't hear business. And when I think about the people I've interviewed for Left Foot and the people I've talked to, just like when I use the word sales versus business development, if I said Facebook, I think I would get the same response. You know, I'm a lawyer, I don't sell. I'm the first to admit to you that it is unconventional and it's not going to be widely embraced. But for that exact same reason, none of your other competitors are doing it. One of the main rules of marketing is you need to market where your competitors aren't. And it doesn't have to be a salesy marketing. It's just information sharing. I met this really amazing business developer when I was in Switzerland speaking at, at the Global Law Summit. His name is Michael Zeller. He's a fascinating person. He's developed a huge book of business really just based on hustling, right? He didn't have any family connections. He had to build his own network. You know, he's really into wine. He has some unique interests. He travels the world. And after I met him, he friended me on Facebook. And he almost never shares business stuff on Facebook, but he's very engaged with his network, right? So it's not about using Facebook to sell. It's about using Facebook to network and stay top of mind. Because you said, if we just go back to the quote you said at the beginning, have you heard from them in two weeks? They don't have to have tried to sell to you. It's just, are they around? Are they kicking? Another saying that I love is clients don't have a hard time finding a lawyer. They have a hard time choosing one. Facebook, if it makes you more likable, if it makes you more known to your clients, even if they don't think you're smarter or more knowledgeable, if they're more friendly with you, I know that's maybe the wrong adjective, but they're more likely to want to do business with you. And that's where Facebook can really be powerful. That is very consistent to a lot of what we hear from these strong rainmakers. It's, it's that front of mind, how they stay there. And very often they're staying there because of non-business related things. And you're right. And I think that's a great point. If it's on Facebook and it's not professional, well, it's not unprofessional, right? It is a connection of some kind. They're seeing some activity. It could be attending a conference or a picture. And I have two points because I love this topic. Part of the reason why a lot of lawyers shy away from Facebook for business development is because they shy away from business development, right? They're introverts, right? They're introverts. So they don't even want to talk much on Facebook with their friends. And, and so to ask them to use this to network, that's hard. They feel safer saying like, well, don't make me network on Facebook. That would be like asking me to network on my evenings and weekends, which is exactly when you have to network, right? Is when people don't have a wall up, when people are relaxed and they have a drink in the hand, right? So that's kind of the first, the first thought. And second, I just want to share with you an experience. So I was talking to a partner in Chicago, young partner, and very active on Facebook just because he's a friendly guy, right? And he has a fraternity friend and they've been friends on Facebook for whatever, 10 years. He's never tried to pitch work to him because he's a, he's a doctor, 
right? This guy's a doctor. And so they're just friends. His legal work with companies and corporations, whatever, comes into a Facebook discussion. They reconnect. Turns out this guy now has four or five practices, offices all over the Eastern Seaboard. He's not just a doctor. He's an entrepreneur with multiple offices in this you know, thriving business. And, and now this partner does all his legal work. It just doesn't occur to us that the people that were friends on Facebook, not only do they have business needs, but they're the ones that are just the most likely to actually hire us. So anyway, I think I may have made that point sufficiently. You mentioned this or stated this earlier about Twitter and having a, a somewhat of a niche Twitter feed. And I have to say, I think that a lot of the folks that we've talked to would actually be more comfortable with that, that they would say, well, that is a great way for me to deliver information. Obviously, it has to be well presented, concise information on my topic to people that are genuinely interested in seeing it. And as long as they're using Twitter and they've clicked that follow button, I mean, how easy is that? And frankly, if I'm an introvert, that's fantastic. Here's what's so beautiful about Twitter, completely different from LinkedIn and Facebook. Twitter is, it's a completely open network. So if you share content there in a certain practice area or in a certain industry, you will attract people to you. And this is not, we're not talking about the law of attraction here. What we're talking about is literally when they do searches on Twitter, they will find the articles that you've written about the topic that they're interested in. So they'll be driven to you. And yeah, it's a beautiful way to find the like-minded individuals, the people that are trying to solve the problems that you're helping to solve. It is a fantastic way to brand yourself personally. Do you have guidelines that you suggest? I'm assuming you know this because of the clients you work with and likely the inquiries you get for both your software solution, your application, as well as for your services, your consulting services and your speaking. Yeah. So my first book was actually Social Media for Lawyers, Twitter edition. It is short. It's about half the length of, of the LinkedIn book. It basically is a step-by-step -step guide. I'm not even trying to sell it to you or your listeners. If any of them would like a digital copy, they can email me info at clearviewsocial.com. And I'd be glad to email them a digital copy. I love the book. It's only 90 pages long, but it's just a step-by-step -step guide to building your online presence on Twitter. And it was the first book I wrote. And I still think it's a ton of fun. I have a lot of personal stories and uh, experiences and I updated it a few years later. So it's a great read and it tells that whole story because even though Twitter is easy to use, it's not completely accessible. Like it's not obvious how to use it. And that's what really why I wrote this first book, because I wanted to kind of just create a map and show people, here's what you do to get going. Anyway, it was very well received. That was my first book. And it really helped kind of make a name for myself and get me started. I would imagine that many firms are now looking at both their lateral hires as well as their associates that they're looking to promote. They're looking at their comfort level, you know, with technology generally, e-discovery, et cetera, but definitely their ability and comfort level with using social media. And again, we still hear the stories about the partner that prints every email or has their assistant print every email so they can read it. But I mean, are you hearing from firms and from lawyers that they feel they need to have a better understanding of this, not only for business development, but for their own advancement and their own security? I'm just going to pause a second in answering this question because I wish that that was the reality of where we were now. The truth is in the interview process, 
even to hire a lateral or especially a new hire, their ability to use technology is almost irrelevant, unfortunately. There are some exceptions. Sometimes a firm will bring in a lateral because they've really created such a great reputation through a blog, a niche blog they've built. So that's the exception. I go into firms and I give LinkedIn workshops where we just help people put their LinkedIn profiles together strategically so they can start going after certain targets. And there's two ends of the bell curve um, in terms of really old lawyers that don't have a LinkedIn account yet and really new lawyers one or two years out of law school that do not have a LinkedIn account. I think there's just as many new lawyers without LinkedIn accounts as there are old lawyers without them. I know that seems like such a surprise, but no one in law school ever told them this matters. You know, there's no training on legal marketing or networking or business development. It's just expected that you're going to instantly get this sometime between your fourth and fifth year of practicing. That I am surprised by that only because you're know, talking to a lot of lawyers. The ones that I'm talking to have, have definitely crossed that chasm and they have their LinkedIn profiles. Usually they're out, they're marketing, they're, they're business developers, they're communicating with people. So I am a little surprised, but I'm not. This is the disconnect, right? There is a Grand Canyon of difference between rainmakers and the average lawyer at a firm in terms of their abilities, their mindset, and their personality around this. And so because I'll work with an entire firm, I get to see the full range. But the people that get it, 100% of them have LinkedIn accounts. Most of them have a Twitter account or a blog or some content platform. And some of them use Facebook, right? The ones that have found it valuable do. It's just a given. You've got to use these tools. But even though that's a given for rainmakers, the vast majority of lawyers don't think of themselves as rainmakers. A lot of them don't think they even have the potential to become rainmakers. So they've just kind of compartmentalized that. Are there any last points you'd like to share with our audience before we say goodbye? One last point that I'm pretty passionate about, and that is a lot of law firms, they want to instill these behaviors, kind of rainmaker behaviors in more of their lawyers. They want more of their lawyers to use LinkedIn or start having a Twitter account or start building their reputation around some of these online tools, but they kind of play lip service to it. They say, hey, everybody, please do this stuff because it's good, but they haven't created incentives or a paradigm where they're ever going to actually get that result from most of their people. And I just want to tell you a quick story. It may sound like it doesn't relate, but it really does. There's two countries in the world that create soccer balls, all made in China and Pakistan. Now, China figured out a better way to cut out the shapes from a single piece of fabric so they could get more soccer balls from each piece of fabric. Okay. So this new way will immediately boost revenue by 17%. All you got to do is use this new template to cut out your shapes. Well, this group of economists took this over to Pakistan and they said, hey, there's this new way. And they trained 110 firms on this new way. Here's how you do it. They gave them all the information. And how many of the firms do you think adopted the new way? Well, it was fewer than 10 because all their workers were getting paid by the piece. And to slow down and learn a new way would have cost them money in the short term. And this is exactly why most lawyers aren't learning this new technology, because there's no incentive now for them to learn it. And they don't have the long view of what their potential is down the road 
if they learn this now. I guess my big message to law firms is that if they want to get these results from more of their lawyers, they've got to create financial incentives, contests, competitions, or some sort of promotion that incentivizes the new behavior beyond just, you know, please, will you do this? And that's going to help them actually drive the change in behavior that will bring them real results. Interesting. I have to say, because I would never have thought that that would be inspiring to some of these firm members. Even just the idea of winning versus what you're winning could be an incentive to folks. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've got a number of examples. In fact, I'm going to be speaking at Marketing Partner Forum next February in California. And the topic is gamification, how using competitions and contests can drive a change in lawyer behavior. And we're going to have some top CMOs in the industry that have used those types of contests to drive behavior. And then the software I've created has a leaderboard that also helps firms run these competitions. And Adrian, I'm assuming you've seen firms that have done that and had success. Yeah. Well, it's not just winning. It's winning with a prize, winning with something that has a value that's greater than zero. It's like the bragging rights plus the gold chain. Great response. Fantastic interview. Very informative. Adrian, Thank you. It's been a pleasure having you as a guest on Left Foot. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Left Foot. Be sure to visit www.leftfoot.net to access show notes, sign up for our weekday series, and embrace what it means to lead with the left foot. 